0: Oh, good night, everybody. How are you? Great. I'm. I'm just glad to, on Wednesday nights get to be with you. I know it's a, a, a usually a small group, but that's a, often a very intimate group, and we can talk about anything. So, anytime we're going through this, and you you know get something, or I think I said something uh, that you need further explanation for, or anything like that, or if you've got something on your mind you want to talk about, interrupt us. I, I know it's on on Facebook. That's that's all right. They can uh, they can join with us. It's. It, it won't hurt them. I know they can't hear what you're saying. They can hear what I so I'll try to repeat what you're saying. So they kind of go from there. I hope you're enjoying the green letters. Uh, it is a good book. It outlines a lot of very important truths for us. And I don't want to just necessarily go, go just do the book. We have to do that at times just because there's great truth in it that we need to cover. Uh, tonight I was going to do chapters 42 and 43, but there was so much in 42, I said, nope, uh, we'll just do 42. Uh, so we've, we've worked with that. Because there's some things that happen in, uh, that he talks about in chapter 42, that I have experienced, done myself, I've been around people who are doing it, uh, that i really are good to go over and talk about and work our way through it. Here's the deal, guys. You can know for sure that having been born again, you are more than likely going to make a number of mistakes along the way, that you're not going to get something along the way. Please don't feel like you are a failure. It is through failure that we learn what success is. You follow where I'm coming from? So let's not be afraid to fail. You're, you're not going to be condemned. Everybody follow that? You, you, some of your brothers and sisters may not always understand what your actions are, but that doesn't stop them from being brothers and sisters. That doesn't stop you from being a child of God. The child of God part was taken care of by God. That wasn't taken care of by you. You didn't make yourself a child of God. God made you a child of God. That's back to that sovereignty thing there again. I can't do that part. There's, there's no way I can patch up the difference between God and I. I am too far gone, and I don't have the powers and the things that he is. He's unlimited, so he can do all kinds of things. And we want to talk about what some of that is tonight as we talk our way through the knowledge of reckoning. All right? So let's look to the Lord in prayer, and we'll go from there. Father, thank you so much. You're an awesome God. And we thank you and praise you that you are in charge. Thank you that our salvation is not resting on us, but on the finished work of Christ. Thank you so much for the grace you showed to us, for we know we did not earn anything. Uh, least of all, that we earned the right to be loved by you. We know that's not true. We know that you have saved us by your own good grace, your own love. And we want to thank you tonight, genuinely, humbly, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for loving us and caring for us and showing us your favor that we hadn't earned. Now, we ask you to open our hearts and eyes. We know that our thoughts are not your thoughts, and we know that you've given us a new man. And that new man is now capable of thinking things, but we want that new man to be fed by the truth, and we're asking that you open our hearts to that truth that we might be taught by you. And I'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me see if I can talk to you about what I mean, what I'm praying that way. Let, let's let's start first of all at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, okay? Let's just go to the Bible and, and look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And what I mean by that is our faith is not merely an intellectual grasping. In other words, you don't have to be some the brightest light in the room to be the one that understands what God says. Because it's not dependent upon you, it's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul has made a defense for his uh, preaching. Uh, he had said in chapter 1 verse 27, for you see your calling, or 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So he's he's letting us know right up front, it's not... It's not the the ones who are great philosophers, not the ones who are way up there in intelligence. It is uh, the some who are not wise, according to the flesh, as he said in verse 27 then, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now, that that tells us something right there. The work of God is not according to us, but according to him. Why? That no glory, uh, no flesh should glory in his presence. Nobody should say, look, I studied the Bible hard, and that's how I got to be this great spiritual leader I am. That's not true. God is the one who works in you, and I'll, I'll show you that in just a minute here. Look at verse uh, chapter uh, one. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So He counts that to be the center of everything, and as we're trying to sh- show you, the gospel center is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that's the person and the work of Christ. Everybody follow that? It's the person and work of Christ. Not just the work of Christ. It's the person of Christ because the work of Christ couldn't be done if he wasn't the person he is, all right? I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, or, or that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He did not want to do clever speech. He did not want to make it very persuasive conversation. He was not concerned about that. He was just trying to be very plain and simple with what this is. Here's the simplicity of the gospel. If you're understanding this, that's because of the power of God to do that. It's not because you were intellectual geniuses or any other thing. I'm not an intellectual genius, he said. I am just a guy who is preaching you Christ and him crucified. So let's go on a little further. Um, verse 6, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, not the wisdom of this age nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. In other words, how many philosophers do you suppose were alive at that time? I mean, we, we have philosophers then at the, in Greece that Rome even said, these guys I got it together. And they were, they were doing all kinds of things. The algebra Algebra's starting to come up then at that time. They're understanding the role of numbers and shapes and all kinds of things that are coming. They're understanding all the, the stars and how they fit together. They're understanding how to navigate from those stars. There are brilliant people going on. And they're, they're coming up with philosophy. They're coming up with drama. They're coming up with comedies. They're coming up with all kinds of things. Paul said, I'm not one of those. So I didn't come to you trying to persuade you with my great speech. So he's as he goes on here, he says, in uh, verse seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In other words, it's not that it's mysterious and it's you know you have to be a special initiate to get it. No, he's saying it's because it hadn't been known before. That's what made it a mystery. Uh, the hidden wisdom of God, which was ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So if this was something that was easily understood, all those philosophers would have already got it. They'd been right on top of it. They'd understood it right away. But, verse nine, but as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you can't think up what it is that God's prepared for you. You, you can't think up heaven. You, you can't think up the coming kingdom. You can't think that up. You may come up with utopias. You may come up with ideas, what you think an ideal world would be like. But you can't come up with a way for that to be done, especially a way, that, well, I'll go on. Uh, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, here's the deal. I recognize Rich Bachman's frame. I recognize Dave Wells' frame. I I recognize Gordon. And I recognize, but here's what, here's the deal. Just recognizing that frame doesn't mean I know them. I know to recognize them, and I know how to have a conversation about some things, but unless we get to sit down and eyeball to eyeball talk about the things which are important to us, I don't really know anybody. And I can only know as much as somebody is willing to reveal to me, and you only get to know as much about me as I'm willing to reveal to you. Listen to what he's saying. God is revealing, is is willing to reveal to you his total mysteries. Everything that you couldn't have known before. Everything that he was saying in sort of dark words, he's now saying this is the way it is. And he's willing to reveal it. He wants to reveal it. You know, the the book of Revelation is not a hidden book. Think of the title. It's the revelation. He's not trying to hide it from us. He's trying to show it to us. He said, here are the things I want you to know, guys. So we're supposed to say, wow, okay, I want to know that, and then learn it. Everybody see where I'm at? So it's God has revealed these things to us. Now go on with me further here in verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? Let's go on. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Why was the Spirit given to us? That we could know. There's things we can't know any other way. Let's go and see how he says it further. Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So if the natural man is what God describes him as, as dead, he can't get the things that are coming to God. He can't understand those things. He can't grasp them. He can't invest in them. They're not, they seem like foolish talk to him, all right? You've probably been around people when you were trying to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they just looked at you like, what kind of nut are you? You must be a member of a cult somewhere. Get out of here. I don't want anything to talk with you about, okay? Look on as it goes further, um, but he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for he who has the mind of the lord that he, for he who has the mind known the, known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him but we have the mind of christ so in other words when you're born again something changed in you and you were given the mind of Christ so that you could now receive and know the things which God has freely given to you. And that's done by the Spirit. Look over in Ephesians chapter one just for a moment. Ephesians chapter one, just a few pages over. Verse 15, Ephesians chapter one. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Follow that? That's not that you can now order more books Buy more books and spend your time reading all those books. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's saying that the spirit of God, or that the father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So he's saying, look, guys, I want you to know what to hope for. I want you to know what to invest your life in. And I can't do that with just simple words. I'm asking that God would open your heart to understand this, that God would open the eyes of your understanding that it becomes clear to you. You follow that? Because it's not just a natural thing. It is a spiritual thing, and God's got to make us spiritual for us to be able to get what his message is. Fair enough? All right. Having said those things, and, and you can find the same thing in Colossians chapter 1, uh, you can find it in a, a variety of other places, for, for, but for right now. As a matter of fact, you can find it in First John chapters 2, 3, and 4. Uh, right now, let's take a look at the notes. And I think I must have left my book in the office. not smart. Um, the immaterial part of man has two parts in it. It has a spirit and a soul. Now, I don't know if that's two separate things or if it's it's two parts of the same thing. I know they're both immaterial. You, You can't look at somebody's soul. You can't look at somebody's spirit. You can see the result of their soul. You can see the result of their spirit. You can see how they think. You can see what their spirit is like, but you can't see either one of those. They are immaterial. They are like God. That's what's going to make us, if I can say this word without offending, sons of God. We are of God. We are of spirit. The natural man is not of God. He has a spirit, but it's not alive. It's dead unto God. We are alive unto God and dead unto sin. All right, so let's take a look at this. Here's what he said, First Thessalonians five twenty three. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He wants you to be fully sanctified. Notice how he says it. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying. You were given a body. This is the tent you're walking around in. But the tent is not you. It's your house. It's where you're living. It's your tent. That's why making judgments on the basis of somebody's tent is a very foolish thing. It's the person inside the tent that you want to get to know. That's why Paul would say in Second Corinthians 5, we know no man after the flesh anymore. We don't know Jesus after the flesh anymore. Therefore, we don't know any man after the flesh anymore. We're not interested in what the tent looks like. We know we're going to exchange the tent. That's, that's already temporary. We know it's coming and going. You're going to get a new tent someday. And, uh, I should say a new house someday. You're not going to live in a tent anymore. You're going to live in a house. This thing is temporary. All right. Now, since that's what it is, and since we're recognizing that, what, we, what we're going to try to do is let this tent be what he says it is, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look and say, Lord, I want you to take care of my body, too. I want the body taken care of because I'm, I'm, I know one day I'm going to get a new body, but I don't want to defile the tent you gave me. You know, I don't, I don't want to make a mess of it. I want to make this thing a right thing. That's why health is important to us. That's why we ought to be care, careful about what we eat, what we drink. Um, the more I, I get to learn things, I'm just like you. I grew up in a world in which we weren't told a lot of truth. I'm I'm sorry, but that's that is the truth. We weren't told a lot of truth about what foods are good for us, what foods aren't. Matter of fact, because of economies, we were often told to eat things that were not right for us, because it didn't matter. They were looking at long term things. They knew for the short term, you're going to want to eat all the salt you can. You're going to want to eat all the things like that that you can. You're going to want to eat things that are not good for you because you're not going to notice it until a few years from now. You won't pick up on it this week because you're overeating uh, caffeine and sugar and all kinds of, you won't notice it this week. Oh oh yeah, you, you may notice that a few pounds start showing up places you really don't want the pounds showing up, but they weren't telling you the truth about it. So we need to learn the truth about our bodies and what makes them work. But he's saying your complete body and soul and spirit. So all I'm trying to get to is this. You have a soul and a spirit. That's what he's saying about you. Now, it may just simply be two parts of one thing, the immaterial part, or it may be two separate things. I don't know that. Maybe it could, some think it's three because God's a trinity, so there's three, three parts of us. I, I don't know that. All, all I know is, He says that there are three things going with us, and the soul and spirit are close. Now, uh, here I'm going to do a little reading, so just hang with me, okay? The spirit of the man is the immaterial part of the man that gives life to the man. That's animation. It is that breathed-in part of him that comes from the Holy Spirit, okay? So God fashions up, God's taking dust, and he's fashioning us up, and he gets it to turn to this. So it is literally just a little statue until he blows in it. When he blows his spirit into it, wind, spirit, they're all ruach. That's the word that's used for it. This is wind, breath, spirit are all the same thing. When he blows his ruach into that, this thing's alive. It's animated, it's lit living now. What he blew into us is called the spirit. It's the immaterial part of us. That's what gives us life. And a day's going to come, guys, when your animated part is going to leave this shell. When it leaves this shell, we're going to call that death. And we'll have a, a ceremony for you. We'll remember you. We'll remember, uh, I want to just bear in mind, that's an investment for the future. You're, this is, you never were going to live in this tent. You're just planting it because there's another one coming. You're going to have a new body coming, all right? That's called the resurrection. So let's go on. As a part of the image of God in man, it is that part of the man through which he is to receive from and communicate with God. So in other words, when God's blowing his spirit into us and we become living beings, it is that part that's supposed to talk with him. It's that part that communicates with him, not the body. The body's going to do what the spirit says to do. If the spirit says, we're in the presence of the awesome God, bow. then then we're going to bow. You you follow where I'm coming from? The the spirit is giving the directions to the body about what it's supposed to do. So it was supposed to um, receive from and communicate with God. Due to iniquity and being born after Adam's kind, The spirit of the man is dead in sins and trespasses. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says. And ye being dead in sins and trespasses and under the um, rulership of the prince of the power of the air, since that's what you were then, God's made you alive. So we'll go on to that. That does not mean the spirit is without life. It means the spirit of man is born separated from the relationship and therefore the fellowship of God. Remember, death is about separation. It's not about ceasing to exist. It's about a separation. You're, you're not in the, your spirit leaves that body. It's separated. That's death. If you stay separated from God for eternity, that's called spiritual death. So the death means that the spirit's leaving whatever it is. So uh, our spirit was dead unto God. That is, it's not connected in fellowship. It's not connected in any way uh, to God unless God does something about it. He cannot receive from God unless God awakens the spirit he put into that man. Unless God reveals himself to that man, he cannot know God. Now, I've I've used uh, an FM radio as an illustration here. Um, several times, and I was thinking today, anybody ever been to uh, um, uh, get a hearing test? I mean, in one of those rooms where you got to wear the, yeah. Yes. You, you know, they're, they're given some little signal, they say. Yeah, I, I think they're lying to us. But they say, what? how did you not hear that one? That one what? Well, anyway, my, my point was this. You're in here. You're still very much alive. But they're, they you can look through the window they have there, and they could be yelling at you. You can't hear them. You don't know what they're saying. You can try to read their lips, but you can't hear them. It's only as they speak over those headphones and say, are you okay in there? Oh, yeah, now I hear you. Now I hear you. Um, Sometimes guys like Dave are, are wearing tonight a thing so he can hear It's a, a way it's broadcast, too. God is just like that. We are in a sound booth with headphones on. We're very much alive. And, and there are sounds being made, but I don't always hear what they are. And I'm standing outside of him. I am separated from him, and I can't, but I'm still alive. I just can't hear him. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's saying. He can be shouting at me. It would make any difference to me. Unless, in, in using that, that radio, unless God can change, change the dial. <laughs> unless God changes the dial on your receptor, you're not going to hear him. Because your dial is set for something totally different until he sets that frequency. And when he gets that frequency there, you can finally hear him but he has to initiate it. It's, you're, you're preset. You're, you're not going to be able to change that, that radio, all right? So that's what we mean by unless God reveals it. The spirit of man was designed to receive teaching from the spirit of God and thereby through those revelations give meaning to life and understanding to the ways of God for the man. <clears throat> the spirit of man lives off of revelation. Fair enough. That's, what he's, that's what's supposed to motivate us. That's what's supposed to animate us. That's supposed to give supposed to give us life. Now, here's, here's what I want to try to introduce to you. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they're very much alive, and they are very much connected to God. But when they determined to listen to someone else, could they have, could they have cried out to God? Yes, as soon as the temptation started, could they have cried out to God and said, Father, help us here. Yes. They weren't aware that that's what they needed to do. They just assumed, would there be anything evil in here, the garden that God made for us? No. So it's going to be a great place. So this guy talking to us, it's when that guy says God lied to you, that big alarms needed to go off, but they didn't. It appealed to themselves. It appealed to their natural part not to listen to God, but to listen instead to themselves and to the speech that was going on. God's plan was not for them to learn through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but instead to learn through His Spirit speaking to them. His Spirit would teach us everything we needed to know. We would know evil because we knew what good was. When we ate... We are now knowing evil and knowing good. We're knowing how to do evil. We're knowing how to do good. You know, just the events that happened October 7th as, as that slaughter and that massacre went off. Uh, how, how do people get to that point? Well, I'm not living there, but I know that I'm perfectly capable of doing anything as nasty and mean given the right circumstances. I'm liable to be able to do that myself. Therefore, I don't have much to brag about. You follow where I'm coming from? Now, maybe you're different. I'm not. And that, I could be capable of doing the same things if I was under the same kind of pressure they felt like they were. If after years of bitterness they had exploded and they were allowed to let bitterness to come out. Well, anyway... Uh, I I hope you get where I'm coming from. We were supposed to not learn about evil. We were supposed to learn about good. Evil would naturally show up then. We'd know what's evil the same way God does. God doesn't create evil um, or wickedness, I I should say. Let me go on. When the spirit is dead and not alive to God, he cannot receive from God the truth. Instead, uses the ability of the soul to reason and creates imagined spiritual truth to make up for the lack of truth, which should have come from God, but was prevented due to his being dead to him. Now, all, all I'm simply saying is this. The spirit, because it's dead unto God and is not receiving things from God, can't live in a vacuum. It's going to create spiritual truth. That's how you're going to get such things as communism. That's how you're going to get idolatry. That's how you're going to get false religions. That's how you're going to get philosophies. That's how you... all of those things are going to come from a dead spirit using the the soul as its reasoning capacity and creating spiritual truths that are not spiritually true. Does that make sense to you? All right. Let's go on. <clears throat> The Spirit is capable of seeing the created world and even be, I should, that should see, be, be awed by it, but due to sin, he cannot have a godly understanding of it. Uh, so when the current scientists look at the world, because they have ruled God out of the picture, because they've ruled anything spiritual out of the picture, now they look at the universe, they are awed by it but they come up with a new, different explanation that doesn't include God. It's got to find some way to to say these things got here by a bang, by an explosion, matters eternal. They have to come up with something that gives them a basis for rejecting God. But it's going to require just as much, if not more, faith than you're expressing. Okay? God uses the natural world to create in man a sense of his person and character. This information is adequate enough to bring about transformative thinking in the man if he will humble himself. This information, God declares, is adequate enough for the man to know God and be held accountable for worshiping him. That's what Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following are teaching us. All right? That God holds them to, that you, you, when people say, yeah, but if they had never heard of Jesus Christ, why could God condemn them to hell? They have the whole natural world to look at. They have all of it to see. And God even says about himself, I've given you all of this. This is what you should have been able to recognize. You're, you're not blind. You're not stupid. You can see what this world is that should have led you to some kind of conclusion that someone had to make it and you'd, you'd search me. That's adequate basis for him to condemn them. Everybody follow that? So it's it's not it's not about whether they've heard the gospel or not. They have seen the gospel of God. All right. <clears throat> uh, let's go to the next page. Then I think we're ready for that. The soul is related more to the personality, the gifts, the talents, the thought processes of the man, his mind, will, and emotion. The soul acts as the connecting translator of the spirit and the body. It is the headquarters of the reasoning of the man. So um, let me see if I can kind of make a a silly, well, anyway, inadequate illustration. Over here, I'm going to have the spirit. And the spirit is is receiving spiritual things. It's not his function to sense the world that's out here. Over here is the body, and the body senses stuff. It's not the body's function to figure out how it got here. It's not the body's function to figure out whether it's godly or not godly. The body doesn't deal with that. It deals with hard, soft, cold, dark It deals with all those kinds of things. The body is not a determiner for whether God created or not. It doesn't have that capacity. It knows either to eat it, kill it, sleep. (laughs) That's what it knows and understands. Spirit, spirit deals with high spiritual things. In between the two is the soul. And the soul takes the data that the man is receiving through his body senses, it translates the data to the spirit, which is supposed to make spiritual conclusions from it, and the spirit then sends that back through the, the, the reasoner, the soul, and directs the body what to do about it. Does that make sense to you? It's the intermediary between the two. The spirit and the body now are connected by the soul. It's what reasons things. The soul figures out, okay, does this look like something that I could eat? The body may just simply put teeth on it and try to, but the soul soul looks at it and says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't even chew this up, okay? That's That's not food. So the soul is making a determination that's not food. The spirit over here is saying, where did that come from? How did that get here? What's its function? What's its purpose? And it's using the soul as the intermediary. All right. All right. That may not have helped much. There we go. <clears throat> the soul records and processes the data gathered by the body's senses. The soul gives names and categories for the things the body senses and helps the body make practical use of that data. So here, let's take this. The, uh, uh, I'll use chocolate. The body tastes chocolate. It gets used to the feel of chocolate. It knows that the chocolate will melt on your hands. It's not M&Ms. It'll melt in your hands there. And when it tastes it, it has a pleasing taste to it. The soul processes that, stores that data and says, we like chocolate. Chocolate's a good thing. Matter of fact, we like chocolate so good, we will look for chocolate. We'll see if we can find it. Is that chocolate? Is that chocolate? No, it's not chocolate. I'm not wasting my time with it. It it goes on until it finally finds the chocolate it wants. Does that make sense to you? So it's processing and restoring that data. The soul gives names and categories for the things the body senses and helps the body make practical use of that data. It also feeds the spirit information and receives a definition back from the spirit. The soul can only make decisions and have good thoughts based on the information he is given. If that information is faulted, incorrect, or false, the soul will base its reasoning off of that bad information. It's amazing what our minds can come up with, isn't it? It's amazing how many excuses we can make or uh, statements we can make that are so obviously false, but they match the bad information I started with. Uh, how many times have you been engaged in some um, maybe a conversation with your spouse? and you you saw an action that your spouse did, and you defined what that action meant without asking. you made an assumption of what that that little action was because you lack information to know why she did that, why he did that. And boy, you've already got your mind made up. Matter of fact, you've you've already had the argument in your mind. You've already been through the whole thing. You're ready as soon as she or he walks in the room to give them that peace of mind you can't afford to lose. You know what I'm saying? And you light right into them. And they are, what did you say that for? And then they tell you the background information. Oh, I didn't know that. But your soul had already made an argument, already made the case, already built up things. Fear operates the same way, doesn't it? The things that you're afraid of, well, this is what could happen. I just know if we go on there, we're going to have a flat tire. I just know for sure we're going to do this, and da-da-da, and we talk about the things we're fearful of because the soul is making decisions based on the information it has. That's the way the soul works. So If you give it bad information, it'll make bad decisions. All right, going on. Since the spirit of man, until born again by the spirit of God, cannot understand the things of God, it can never reason what is true of God, his world, even his own life. He's not going to understand who he is. He's not going to understand his world. He's not going to understand God. He cannot think like God until God awakens him and gives him understanding. This immaterial part of the man must be born again by God through the knowledge of Christ, by the spirit of God, or he will remain separated from God for eternity. This is why Jesus came and did the work he did. He is fully God and fully man. Living a totally righteous life of trust and obedience, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. His life was then identified with ours so that when Christ dies as our sin substitute, we die together with him. Just Jesus, just and righteous life, is identified with us, and our death is final in the eyes of God. So in other words, when Christ dies, he sees us as dead. That's it. It's over. You're, you're now separated from what you were. When Christ died, Christ separated from the world system. When uh, we died with him, we were separated from the world system. Everybody see that? All right. To the one who is trusting that Jesus is God come in the flesh, the Christ, the Spirit of God, applies the work of the horrible cross of Christ that separated him from his Father and his Spirit from his body to separate us from our sins and trespasses. So there's a lot of removals going on there. This is the Spirit of God removing our sin from us. That pays our account with God in full for our lives and the iniquity, that's the old man, that separated us from God. But as the work of Jesus on the cross was only part of what he did to save us, there's another very important action that must be applied by the Spirit. So here's the deal. I come loaded up with sin. I come burdened with it, okay? And that separated me from God. When God takes my sin and lays it on Jesus and Jesus dies for it, then that sin is separated from me. But I'm not righteous. I'm just no longer a sinner. Does that make sense? It's going to have to. It's got to require a second action to do something that's going to make a difference. This is what the uh, the Old Testament sacrifices did. It's going to take my sin. It's going to transfer it to a uh, um, an animal of some sort. The animal's going to die for it, and it can be said that my sin is now covered. I'm not a righteous guy because I know that I'm going to be doing that same thing again, and I'm going to have to have another animal sacrifice, another that, to keep repeating it. Because the animal isn't righteous, he's just living. A living thing dies for my sin. He's a substitute for me, he's paid for my sin. Christ went way beyond that because when Christ died he's taking my sin he's dying for my sin but that sin's removed from me but he doesn't stay dead like the animal did no he's raised from the dead well if he's raised from the dead and I'm identified with him in his death what has to happen to me I have to be alive from the dead right That's where he creates a new man in me. I'm no longer a zero in life. I used to say it this way. Think of this as a grand thermometer. Here's zero, and here's everything below zero, and here's everything above zero. In order for you to go to heaven, you got to be cooking out here on this end of the scale, right? So here comes Jesus. He dies on the cross for all of this. So when he dies on the cross for all this, boom, here I am, a grand zero, right? I'm not going to heaven. That's not how you get to heaven. You don't go to heaven by being a grand zero. You have to have the righteousness of God to go to heaven. So what does he do? By his resurrection, he takes me from account paid in full with a zero balance, and adds to me by grace now the total superior righteousness of Jesus. I'm out here, kids. I'm not a big zero in life. I'm over here cooking. I have now received the righteousness. How, how righteous is Jesus? Totally righteous. There is nothing that displeases God, about the Lord Jesus Christ. This father is saying, even before he makes it to the cross, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. Even before he makes it to the cross, this is my son. Hear him. Jesus is doing a marvelous thing. That's the second part of this work. So when Jesus rises on the third day for our sin, because we are united to him, we also rise together with him. This is the spirit who has removed our iniquity from us, given us what we need to be justified, that's declared us righteous before God. With the old man removed from us, we're dead with Christ, the Spirit of God creates in us a new man made in the image of Christ, the perfect, faithful Savior. The believer is born again. He's justified before God, and he's now alive unto God, dead unto sin. This is an action no mortal can do. Only God can give a man a new, eternal life in the image of Christ. It is an act of love and grace, God's unmerited favor and his, here's a word I want you to get used to, monergistic work in us. That means it's done by God and God alone. Man is justified by a monergistic work. You can't justify yourself. You can't participate with God, making you a, a justified person. Only God can do that work. Only God can apply the work of the cross to you. Only God can apply the the work of the resurrection to you. Only God can give you life. Only God can justify you. Everybody follow that? All right, let's go on a little further. Justification is a monergistic work. No effort of man can make him just before God. You are not participating with God in it. You're not helping God along with it. No human effort can ever justify the man. Attempts to serve God in order to be justified are works of the old nature and defy God. Until a man is justified before God through trusting the person and work of Christ alone, the process of his salvation is halted. He can, Well, I don't know what I meant to do there. He cannot. <laughs> there you go. That's the way it is. Sanctification, however. Sanctification is what happens to people after they are saved. Everybody follow that? It's not what happens to them before they're saved. They have to be justified in order to be sanctified. And once you're sanctified, that you've got to be sanctified to be glorified. Everybody follow where I'm at? So justified, that's all done by Christ. In sanctification, you are now participating with it, and that becomes a synergistic work, okay? that is, a team effort. Uh, Sin is the word for together, okay? It is a team effort between a yielded, humble, surrendered believer and the empowering Holy Spirit. The believer is led by the Holy Spirit. The believer is not the lead in his actions. However, he is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit when he humbly yields his members as servants of righteousness. So if, if you understand enough to know that you've been saved, now you where maybe used to, you were stealing, you were using your members to steal stuff with, being sneaky, being clever, being whatever else. Now that's what you used to do. You're not doing that anymore. You say, Lord, how can I work? Show me how these hands can work. I'm yielding myself as a servant of righteousness. So I'm yielding my members, whatever it is. If you used to walk the wrong way, then now you're yielding your legs to walk the right way. You follow what I'm saying? All right. When he humbly yields his members as servants of righteousness, or when he humbly allows the Spirit of God to teach him, uh, called renewing his mind in Romans 12 two, that doesn't mean you don't ask questions. But as you're, you're reading the Word of God, you don't say, nah, I don't see how that works, and you ne- neglect it. If you're humble enough to let God teach you, then he'll renew your mind. All right? It's his work to renew your mind and change him into the image of Christ. When he humbly and faithfully chooses active obedience over passivity and self-centeredness. Listen, if you're, if you're willing to say, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is Tuesday night. I don't have anything to really do on Tuesday night. Let's go visit somebody. And you go visit someone or you start saying, well, let's walk down the neighborhood and get to know the neighbors. Uh, Whatever you're going to do that you're going to say, I'm not going to be passive anymore. I'm going to be active in doing this. I want to I want to act. The spirit of God will meet you there. That step toward God activates the work of the Holy Spirit to move toward the believer and empower him to do the work of God. The power and agency of the work is the Holy Spirit, whereas the medium through which the spirit works is the yielded believer. The Holy Spirit is the initiator in godly praying, godly trust, and godly love. The Holy Spirit is the motivator in the life of a trusting, willing believer. Everybody understand where we're coming from that? All right, then let's look at the knowledge of reckoning. The interaction of the regenerated soul and spirit is the basis of of reckoning. So where is reckoning working? Reckoning is working with a regenerated spirit and a regenerated soul, and the body is the servant of both. Fair enough? So we got a regenerated spirit. That means that that spirit is now alive to God, and it's receiving the things of God. When it hears the Word of God, it's excited about the Word of God. When that spirit hears about someone giving testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's ready to give thanksgiving. It's ready to praise. And the spirit is speaking with the soul and enlivening that regenerated soul now to think differently. He's he's now reading the Word of God, and as he reads the Word of God, uh, granted, the body is the senses through which he reads the Word of God. As he reads the Word of God, the soul takes that and works that process through, working what that all means. He's now meditating, memorizing on it. Um, let's see. For the believer to grow into spiritual maturity, knowledge of scriptural truth is necessary and must precede it. That's from page 191 of the Green Letters. This means the taking in of scriptural truth through the senses Of reading, hearing, speaking the word of God. That is an active discipline of the body. Everybody follow that? So that's that's what's gonna do it. You're gonna hold the Bible, that's your your hands at work there. You're gonna look at the Bible, and maybe you'll say it out loud. You'll read it, you'll memorize it, you'll speak it out loud, you'll speak it to somebody else, you're listening to somebody else, read it. However it's coming in, that's the work of the body. From this body activity, the word is ingested by the soul where it is processed digested memorized meditated upon and a plan of action considered so you're you're going to hear the word of god so the, you're by your with your body you're taking in the word of god in your soul, you're processing that now. You're meditating over it. Well, how does that apply to me? What does that mean about Jesus? What is that saying about the Lord Jesus? What's that saying about God? What's that saying about the world we're living in? What's that prophecy? That's what's, um, what's being done with the, with the soul. That is communicated to the spirit of the man, and the thought is processed through discernment of the spirit. So the spirit that's now hearing the word of God from the soul, is now speaking, and the, the Spirit is now living with that Word of God. It's now going to process back to the soul and say, here's what we can do about that. Here's what's right about that. Uh, if the, if the, the Scripture that's been read is convicted the person that the person needs to change about something, that soul and spirit come up and say, right, we need to repent. So change that, go to that person and seek their forgiveness, whatever is the, the, the necessary action. Um, that's communicated to the spirit of man and the thought is processed through the sermon of the spirit. The spirit of man, empowered by the spirit of God, then plans an action pleasing to God and sends it to the will of man to give a yielded body uh, the work of God to do. But it starts with proper knowledge that is centered in God. This is the proper relationship of head and heart knowledge. For faith to function, there must be spirit-given knowledge of the word. Page 191, that was his word. Then he said, there is a crippling tendency among believers today to deprecate head knowledge of the truth, even doctrine itself. That he said in page 191. My words are, some lazy, immature, or arrogant believers think they do not need the discipline of reading and thinking the word of God, and foolish believe they already know God's will. I don't know if you've ever run into people like this. But when you start saying, wait a minute, that's not what God's word says. Are you going to start that again? Listen, get out of that. It's it's time for us to get with the love of God and stop all his doctrine and stop all his thinking and stop all. I I, I don't stick around close to those folk. They're scary to me because I know they're going back to the old way of doing things again. They're going back pre-cross days. Well, I can think my way through this. I don't, need the, I, don't, I don't need God to tell me this. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll just go and eat from it. It's got good fruit, tastes good, looks good, make me wise. I don't want to hear it. I want to know that you know what the Word of God says. That, does that make sense to you? All right. Well, let's go on a little bit more. Um, just do what your heart says. That's being led by the Spirit. So they erroneously believe. They believe heart knowledge is gained by experience something they experience that they count as a miraculous work of God that proves their acceptability is already sanctified. They then believe that any impulse they feel is the leading of God and therefore is holy, no matter how contrary to God and His word the action is. Uh, We used used to teach uh, spiritual gifts. And as we teach about the spiritual gifts, we come across prophecy. Well, prophecy is uh, someone who is um, who does speak the Word of God. They're, they're looking, and this is what the Word of God says, thus saith the Lord, and that's the way they view life. That uh, if God didn't say it, then I don't think we'll be doing it. Well, prophets aren't always the, the kindest of people. You know, when John the Baptist turns and looks at somebody, says, you brood of vipers, who told you to? Okay, that's, that's not always a nice, nice way to do it. When Jeremiah looks at somebody and says, yeah, you, well, you, you get my point. They're not always nice. Some people, as they read that, realized, I must be a prophet. Yeah, I am a prophet. And they begin to think that since I'm a prophet, I can say anything I want to, and it's what God wanted said. I don't care if it hurts somebody. They need to straighten up and repent. That's what they need to do, because thus saith the Lord. That is not what that gift meant. Fair enough? That's not what it meant. The spirit of the prophet is in the prophet. And the spirit of the prophet doesn't have to say everything that's on his mind. As a matter of fact, it'd be better sometimes if you stopped and read what the Word of God says before you opened your mouth and said something. For instance, there are some people who are ready to just slice up somebody because they think they've done something wrong. The Scriptures say... If you find somebody overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one, comma, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Jesus said it just a little bit differently when he said, don't be worried about taking the splinter out of your brother's eye. Get the log out of your own first, so you can see clearly to get it done. There are a number of people who believe they, that's their calling to correct people with what they are doing. Yet they don't see their own blind side and don't realize that if you do what you think you're about to do, you are going to hurt yourself more than you're going to hurt them. You're going to say something that's going to offend them greatly because you don't know the whole story And they're going to look at you and say, but you have all these things. And you could be convincing yourself that because you have this, quote, gift of being able to discern all kinds of things, you're always right in what you say. No, you're not. All right, But they believe through some experience they had. Sometimes it's going to be somebody that um, was saved from a car accident, and they now believe that that car accident proves things. I used to see it a lot with people who spoke in tongues. If you spoke in tongues, then, yeah, man, you, you, you are now the, the, the Cadillac of the, of the Christian walk, and you can say anything you want to, and you can prophesy over people and stuff like that. Can I say this? Repent real quickly, because that's not the truth. All right, let's go on. <clears throat> the spirit of truth ministers to us by means of our mind, the spiritual mind that relies on him. It's the regenerated mind, kids. The head knowledge gives us the facts on which we exercise faith or reckon. That's what it means to reckon. Reckoning is the confidence in what God says to be true. It is not simply acknowledging it as what God says is true. It is accepting and applying to one's thought and action that it is true. It is making what God has said uh, is true true or what God has said is true, a reality in one's life. So if he says you are accepted in the beloved, by what right or authority do you have to say, I, I, I don't know if God loves me or not. I don't know if God cares for me or not. I don't, I don't know if I've been accepted. I've got to do some more to get accepted. You have not reckoned on what's true. You follow what I'm saying? No, no, you, you need to stop before you go any further with that. And say, what did God say was true about you? He's loved you from before the foundation of the world, and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why are you daring to say, I don't know if God loves me anymore? Are you going back to the old pre-cross days and saying, I want to try to make myself worthy before God? You can't do it, kids. You can't do it. All right? We are told to meditate. That's think over and over with application on these things. We are told, let the word of Christ, the word of God, dwell in us richly. We are told that if we abide in Christ and as the word abides in us, we will ask and receive. If we abide in his word, we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. These are all actions of a word-driven head knowledge that becomes a heart knowledge through faith and obedience. Fair enough? It should be realized that one's knowledge of the truth is always in advance of his growth in that truth. Many believers know the truth in which it will take them a lifetime and an eternity to grow. Maybe you're one of those that was just gregarious about the Word of God. You just had an appetite. was unbelievable. And you read and you learned and you studied and you read and you learned. And you realize after a while, I have outgrown in my knowledge my ability to experience anything. I know more in, in my mind. I know more than what I know how to live. And it stymies you. You'll just stop. You're going to think that knowing is power. It's, it's not. Applying is power, okay? All right. <clears throat> um. Simply because they have yet to live what they do not know is not ground for denying the need to know biblical truth. Now, some people don't, don't want us to get doctrinal truth because, yeah, I know a lot of people that don't doctrine. It doesn't make any difference. They don't live anything. They know. So that's, that's not the ground for denying doctrine. You don't deny doctrine. You, you keep it. The foundation of reckoning. A foundation is what we build upon. That foundation must be firm and solid, or whatever is built upon it will fall to the natural storms of life that will come. Our foundation of reckoning has at least four parts to it. Number one, we are born anew in Christ. That's your first foundation. You have been born anew in Christ. Number two, we are accepted in Christ. Number three, we are eternally secured in Christ. And number four, we are positioned in Christ all right? Those are the foundational truths. Now, these do not grow us. They are the truths we make into head and heart knowledge as the foundation of our growth. They're just what we're building upon, okay? Growth. We must never return to our old way of doing things. The new way is through reckoning the four foundations to be true enough to build a life on. We must understand the deadly and useless old way was crucified with Christ because it was so offensive to God. We do not do things for God now. We do things with God. We are no longer separated from God, but in union with him. That union is not with the old man, but with the new man. Trying to unite God with the old man, that's doing things the old way, would be like trying to work with a stinking, rotting, decaying corpse tied to us full-bodied all the time. Throw away any thoughts that your old man had something to contribute to your sanctification. Let him be gone by the cross and embrace the new man created by God in you. So stop thinking of your old ways. Stop saying, "I, I really regret all the things I did in the past. Okay, so you regretted them. Get over it. Move on. If you keep looking behind you all the time, you're never going to. Just, just think if you tried to drive down the road looking in the rearview mirror all the time. Sooner or later. That's, that's why people don't text. Well, people are not supposed to text. <laughs> well, I really made a mistake that way. Okay? All right. Three pillars of knowledge. This is from page 194. These pillars are the basis for our position in Christ, not condition position in Christ. The first pill- pillar is the knowledge of our birth, ex- acceptance, and security in the Lord Jesus Christ. So those things you have to get down, okay? The second pillar is the knowledge of his cross as our cross. You can't keep looking at Jesus and thinking about the pain he went through. That cross is your cross. He's going through that pain with you, okay? As we see our identification with Christ and his death to sin, we know his cross to be our cross. We know self to have been crucified there. We know ourselves to have been cut off from Adam and freed from the power of sin. If you're going to think about the suffering of the cross, think about why that suffering had to be there. It is because we were choosing to do our own way. So we sure don't want to go back there. We're going to accept what the cross did, okay? Okay. Third pillar, the knowledge that we are alive and complete in our risen Lord places us securely on the third pillar. So that second pillar talks about our death in Christ. That work, But you can't stop there. You must go on to the third pillar. You're alive in Christ now. You're, Christ didn't stay dead, and neither did you. He had to kill that old stuff in us, but he had to raise up a new one in us, and that's who we are. Thoughts, comments? Anybody got anything to you know, share with what we've talked about here? Yes. 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 Our brother was sharing with us here that when we believe and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when God looks at us, he sees Christ. Not our old man, not our old anything. He sees Christ, and he sees Christ and, and he sees us in Christ. But he also sees Christ in us. That's the union. That's, that's the beautiful union. It's a, it's, a, it's a grand thing. Thank you for bringing that out. I appreciate that, brother. Anybody else? A thought, comment? Kids, what we're, what we're trying to do, I, I want everybody to be able to uh, see how our faith is supposed to work. Um, I, I, I do think, Christianity has suffered greatly for a long time because the gospel itself has been altered and what our response to that gospel is has been altered. And it's made churches into businesses. It's made churches into theaters. Uh, we're, we're substituting entertainment for what is true spirituality. I know for years we substituted music for true spirituality that uh, we, we counted on music to make us feel spiritual. That's not faith, kids. That's not faith. Because I'm, I'm going to let you know, as you well know, if, if you're ever in the music business, you can do wonderful things with music, but you can control a lot of people with music. Uh, man, it doesn't take long to realize that when you get to a music festival, there are people there that are totally under the control of whatever that band is playing that night. And they're not themselves. That's not faith in Christ that's being expressed. If, if they went to hear Led Zeppelin, that was not faith in Christ that was making them do all that stuff. That was the music. So please, don't think because music is doing something to you, that's Christian. It isn't. Acknowledge that your body is responding to the body stuff. If, if it's not your song, I, I know it's good to hear somebody else's song, but if it's not really your song, then it's not really your worship. Does that make sense? It's got to be your song. Uh, you know, if somebody else is telling you what they got delivered from and you're excited about what they got delivered from, that's wonderful, but that's just you. If it's not led you to worship God, and to honor God in the thing probably didn't lead you the right direction. Fair enough? We just have too many substitutes for what true spiritual power is, and I mean by that capital S, Holy Spirit power.